Hey, D, do you know why you shouldn't tell secrets in a garden? Because the potatoes have eyes and the corn have ears. That is an oldie but goodie. <laughs> yes, and we have to thank Dirt and Martinis on Instagram for bringing it to our attention. Indeed. Thank you. And welcome to the Garden Angelus, where we talk about flowers, veggies, and all the best dirt. I'm Carol Michael from Indianapolis, Indiana, where I have suburban garden measured in square feet. It's less than a third of an acre, or as my sister likes to remind me, about 15,000 square feet. <laughs> and I'm Dean Ash from Guthrie, Oklahoma, where I garden on several acres out in the country. I couldn't tell you how many square feet it is. A lot. We'll figure it up one day. We call ourselves Garden Angelists because we are evangelists for gardening. We love gardening and we want others to love it too. Yes, we do. And we aren't afraid to spill the beans and tell all of our gardening secrets, the good, the bad, and even the ugly. But that's enough of who, what, where, when, where, when. Let's move on to this week's episode. Carol, in case you think I'm nuts, my earphones just went out for a minute. So I had to just guess where we were. All right. Do you you want to go with that or do you want to start over? Yeah. Okay. Is it okay with you? It's okay with me. It's okay with me. We'll just leave that in the show. People, it just doesn't always go according to plan. Nope, it doesn't. So tell me about your garden. What did you do this week? So Dee, we had some wonderful weather. And on Thursday, I got the big text. Oh, from the nursery. From the garden center, and the text came out to me on Thursday. I have to go back and look at it. She says, we are officially opened. And I say, hooray, I'll be there soon. That's exciting. I made two trips because my truck was still hooked up to a battery thingamajigger that keeps the battery charged when you're not using it. Yeah. I'd take two trips in my SUV, and I got uh, violas and pansies. Saturday I got up to 77 degrees and I laughed because I when we get to garden commissions I got to talk about the weather again um, so everything is all potted up I replaced a bunch of the potting soil in the front containers I've cut back spirea I cut back epimedium uh just started doing some general cleanup so all good good day in the week good day of the week and the funny thing and I gotta be careful because my sister listens and she said, she calls me Friday because she took the day off. She said, check about my spirea today. I listened to your podcast. And I said, well, these ones I didn't think needed it, but she did cut back some others. So she listens. So if I, I come up with something to do and she wants me to do it, I'm, I'm going to have to go up there and do it. <laughs> I can't get out of it if I tell the world. <laughs> yeah, I guess not. <laughs> so we had really good weather too. It got up to 80 degrees here which was crazy. It's not good. Yeah, it's yeah. And I, I think I'm going to write a blog post today and talk about how, even though people are sick of the cold temperatures when they come in, that's actually a good thing. Cause it slows everything down. Cause we don't, exactly. we don't want spring to end before it even begins. Right. So exactly. I worked for several hours and on Saturday and I sowed three varieties of lettuce, kale, bok choy, radishes, and sugar and peas. And that's all of the cool weather vegetable garden I'm going to have, except for some onion sets and some shallots. And then I pricked out the shallots that I had just broadcast in a little tray Uh and put them into pots and they're all in the greenhouse. And I decided this year, I'm going to sow my nasturtium seeds in the greenhouse to get bigger plants 
before I plant them outside so they can really get going. Because the last few years, we've had some weird weather and it's kind of nipped them back and then they were too small to recover very well. Yeah. Does that make sense? They don't. Yes, it does. They don't like it very hot, but for whatever reason, I direct sowed some last summer and I had my best nasturtiums ever. So, you know, just kind of experiment. It's just like everything that you grow, there's no hard and fast rules. I'm also going to sow the calendula indoors so I can place it because the best calendula I ever had, I bought two little plants at a sale because it was a variety I'd never grown before. And you know what? They did great. And they lasted all summer long with deadheading. Go figure. They're supposed to be a cool weather plant. Cool. So that's, oh, and I cleaned up the greenhouse and cut everybody back in the greenhouse. And that's, it's almost presentable now. Almost. (laughs) Very nice. I didn't want to say when my sister called, she had a, we planted a ton of tulips at her condo last fall and some of them had kind of pushed their way up and she could see the bulb. And I just told her to put some mulch over them and they'd be fine. I kind of push them back down and mulch over them. They're okay. So you want to do the quote? I do. First, the howling blizzard woke us. Then the rain came down to soak us. And now before the eye can focus, crocus. By Lydia Rogers. My back lawn is full of crocuses. I mean, it looks really good. Bees everywhere. I bet it looks really but great. Don't don't walk barefoot back there. Well, yeah. Okay. I won't. <laughs> Today it's like 40 degrees. So yeah, I'll wear shoes. It's I was thinking about stepping on a bee. That would I hurt. don't worry about that. I don't usually go barefoot out in the garden, but you good, don't good advice, D. Oh, I go barefoot all the time. So I thought that was good advice. <laughs> Except for not today. It's 27 right now. So not today. That's chilly. So we're not going to talk about crocus at all. <laughs> no, we're going to talk about the flower of March. And that might be something we have to do every first podcast of the month is the flower of the month. And this month it is the daffodil. Nice. And we like daffodils. Both of us do. We do. And you want to complicate daffodils in your life? Go out to the American Daffodil Society, and it it will both uh, complicate your daffodil life and also simplify your daffodil life in some ways. It will definitely enrich your daffodil life because you'll learn a lot. Yes, you will. So they have like a dozen divisions of daffodils Mm -hmm. from large trumpet to miniatures. Doubles. Doubles, split cup. I mean, those divisions. Those are all set up so that you can, you know, show daffodils, which they did a daffodil show on um, Gardner's World one time. And I thought that was the most fascinating thing. These people, because in the U, in the UK, the um, daffodils are a really big deal and they show them a lot. So I know that you're too. Oh, yeah. do not attack me, daffodil people do not attack me. So I have a funny story about daffodil people. Not funny. I mean, so I gave this talk and it's about flowers that bloom from fall to winter to spring. So how to get bridge those months. And I didn't mention daffodils at all. And so one of the people said, "Um, you didn't mention daffodils. And I'm like, no. And there are some really, really early daffodils. Like um, February gold is one. I don't particularly to have that. I don't have that one. And the one that I always butcher the French pronunciation, tete-a-tete. Yeah, tete-a-tete. 
that one is early and that one's up and, and should be blooming within a couple of weeks. Yeah, mine are all up, but they aren't blooming yet. But I do have some other daffodils that are blooming just sporadically. But that big cold front we had, I know. That big cold front we had um, really hurt their leaves because there wasn't, it's a long story, but it hurt their leaves. So they yeah. kind of are ugly. Let's talk about daffodil leaves in a minute. But I want to say that according to the American Daffodil Society, daffodil and narcissus are synonyms. So you can say either one and be correct. Right, because narcissus is just their botanical name. Yes, but don't call all of them jonquils. That is a very specific type of daffodil. Southern people in the South grow jonquils. I grow jonquils. Jonquils aren't as, yeah, but they aren't as hardy. Jonquils as, as a rule are not as hardy. So you would grow fewer jonquils than say somebody down South, True. just like they would grow fewer of other types True. because it's too hot. Yeah. Yes. Those are good. Inf- that's good information. So what are your favorites? So the tet-to-tet or whatever you say is a favorite. Because it's so early. And I'm very impressed because my neighbor next door, he had a big clump. He's got a big rock by his driveway that when they built the house, they just left it there. And there's a flower bed around it. And he was digging around in there last fall. And I thought, I wonder what he's doing. Well, he dug up all his tet-to-tets and he spread them all around. And so it's going to be yeah, really pretty. Nice. It's going to take a couple of years to grow in. But that's always a favorite because it's early. They're little miniature things. They're very cute. Mm-hmm. Love those. And they start blooming like from the moment they come up out of the ground. Yeah, two inches so they'll tall. They'll be like two inches and they start to bloom and then they continue to grow and they stay blooming. Yeah. And they bloom a long time. They I have do. them in my front flower bed and I love them. Okay. Now you say one. Okay. So I like Narcissus Tazetta geranium and the Tazetta class is also the ones that people force indoors. They don't have to really force them because they just grow like Ziva is a Tazetta, but so is geranium and geranium is white and yellow. And it's one of my very favorite ones. Also cheerfulness is another favorite one. Not all Tazettas are cold hardy though, but geranium is. I was going to say, I bet is geranium cold hardy enough for moi? I don't know. Maybe in a very protected area. You, you tell your next one and I'll look up geranium. Okay. So my next one, I'm not sure it's a favorite, but it's an oddity and it's called Rip Van Winkle. And if you want mm-hmm. something kind of like I have it. freaky and unusual, it's just like, it's like a big mop head. of. of it is. Petals. It's got just mostly petals. There's not a lot of, I don't even think it has a cup, but I could be wrong. I haven't looked at it in a while, but yes, I grow that one too. Okay, back to Narcissus geranium for a second. It is yes. hardy, according to various sources, it is hardy to zones five through nine. So you could grow it. You know what? I might have to grow it because I'm looking at the picture of it and thinking that's pretty It's nice. a very pretty daffodil. I have it growing under a spirea. I have it growing under a spirea. And it does you really know, well. And this is the part where I'll say, you know, I have a bunch of daffodils that I don't really know their names. Well, I do too, because I've got some old, I tend to like the smaller ones, you know, Uh me too. Um, I tend to like those the best. I think you would also like cheerfulness, but I don't know if it's hardy enough either. This is the part of the podcast where we shop. Oh, it's hardy. (laughs) It's hardy zones three through nine. Cheerfulness is. Oh, oh, 
Well, okay. So now I have two to buy for next fall because that's the important thing to remember is daffodils are planted as bulbs in the fall. So if you see a bunch in the spring and think, oh, I want that, you will find them at the stores right now. They've potted them up like single bulbs, forced them. Yeah. And you'll see tete-a-tete that way a lot. So you can buy those, buy them when they're buds. Don't buy them in flower because the flower's not going to last that long. You can buy those and some of them are set so you can just keep them inside for a little bit and then plant right. them outside. And some of them, you could just plunk them right down into the garden. Right. And you want to use the smaller ones because they're, I think when people force them like that, when companies force them like that, the bigger ones with the bigger blooms on top, they tend to flop more because they haven't been outside, you know, to be really right. bulky and hardy. I was going to mention another one I really love and that's Thalia or Thalia. And it's a white one. It's pure white and it throws back its petals and it's from 1916. That is a rock hard daffodil. You, you cannot kill it. And by the way, that's. And I, ha- I have that one. It's another piece of good news. Nothing eats daffodils. Nothing eats daffodils. So the one last one I'll mention is everybody thinks, you know, white, yellow, mm-hmm. sort of like an orangey color. So, you know, I have that pink garden over on the side of the house that I worked on last year. Yeah, and I yeah. found at Brent and Becky's bulbs, and we'll put a link to them, a bulb called, uh, where'd I write that? Oh, it's, oh, it's lovely, lovely, lovely Linden, Linden, right? Is that what, are you trying to no, get up? Lovely to, Linden. Yeah. And so it's white with a little. My earphones went out what'd again. What'd you say? <laughs> so I'm just guessing. My earphones went out again for a second. So I'm, I don't know why they are doing that this time, but just because you know what? I don't know why. Anyway, so you are going to grow lovely linden in your pink flower garden. Because it has little, uh, the edges of the white flower have pink on them. I thought that would be pretty. So is it the cup? The cup. Is it the edges of the cup? Oh, how pretty. Now I have some with pink cups, but they aren't really pink. Um, In the catalogs, they look a lot pinker than they are in real life. I would say at their best, they're salmon-y pink. And then they turn more salmon as the flower gets right. older. But I have them in my front flower bed. That's, They're pretty. That's why I went with one that was sort of this edged in pink. And I suppose if it just throws off my whole color scheme, I just dig them up and put them someplace else. Well, it'll be blooming probably before some of your other stuff is. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So it'll be okay. Yeah. And that's a, another thing is, uh, do you move? I move my daffodils in the green, but as my neighbor's shown, if you know where they are, you can dig the bulbs up in the fall and move them around. I don't move them very much at all. I have big lines of them in various places. And um, there's a whole row of really pretty ones that are right next to my sidewalk as I walk down into the lower garden. And those will be there till the end of time or the end of D. So I, I have some rows back by my vegetable garden. And I've moved some from places where it's like, I don't want daffodils here anymore. And I just keep gradually moving them back to these rows in the edge of the vegetable garden. And they are for cutting because I like to cut them when they're in the bud and bring them inside and let them open up. Right. And if people are going to do that, just remember they don't really, they excrete this sap. And so um, they don't do, they don't play very well with other flowers. If you do want to put them with other flowers, you have to soak them for a whole hour in a bucket. Just do the daffodils by themselves. That's my advice. Yeah, because they're very pretty. And and change the water every day because it gets pretty gunky after a while. It gets gooey. 
Yeah, it's gross. Um, and then we, you also had a really good piece of advice about if you're going to buy them potted up in bloom, always buy them in bud. I would say that's true of that's any true. flower that you're going to buy. And the, go ahead and talk about deadheading. Well, so people get kind of weirded out about the foliage. You really need to let the yeah. foliage mature. Well, first of all, you should cut back spent blooms if you can. Now, if you've naturalized, if you can I go and snap them? Yeah, if you've naturalized your daffodils someplace, that's kind of hard to do if you've got a bunch. But for most of us, mm-hmm. snap off those blooms once they're spent. Let the foliage ripen, as we say, because that's adding nourishment to that bulb for a future year, next year's bloom. And so this is hard for some people because in Indiana, my foliage can persist into July easily. Mine definitely persists into June and it's kind of tiresome. And when they, when the foliage finally lays down on the ground and looks like it's tired, I mean, really tired and it's easy to pull away, that's when it's out of here. Yep. But I really do try to let it set otherwise, because when I've cut it back, I don't get as many blooms the next year. Yep. I just don't. So what else is there any? Oh, I was also going to say you can plant hostas and daylilies next to them and it'll help hide them. Yeah. Hide the foliage, which helps. So through that, there you go. That is wonderful information about daffodils, D. Would you like the next quote? I would. Dear March, come in. How glad I am. I hoped for you before. Put down your hat. You must have walked. How out of breath you are. Emily Dickinson. That is lovely. You found that. I love Emily. I love Emily. Love her. So you're going to talk about peas. I am. But I was going to say on Saturday, the wind was blowing its breath out. It was so windy. Here too. It was ridiculous. That's why my voice sounds raspy today because, you know, I was in it. I was out in it. So peas. And so March is the traditional time to sow peas outside and you're not into peas. So I came up with the S's of peas. I like the S's of peas. Go for it. Snap peas, snow peas, shelling peas, and now shoots of peas. You can grow all of them. Pea shoots have been, that's a big, big thing now, especially in fancy restaurants. They look great on top of salads and on top of soups and they taste just like peas. So they're good. I am not anti-pea. I just, I just think it's boring to talk about them, but you know, I understand just because it bores me doesn't mean it bores our listeners. No. And so I found out some good information on the botanical interest website and we'll link to them. They've got some great pea seeds. Anyway, this was a great piece of information that I did not know about, you know, so I pretty much decided that snap peas are, they're not my, they're not my jam I just, and I love them. So go figure. uh, They're just not my thing. It seems like that the minute I'm ready to harvest them, I turn my back and then they turn all tough and chewy. And I'm like, oh, that was a mistake. But here's the thing. They don't really do that here. Here they mature really early and we get to eat a lot of them. So there's that. Well, there you go. So here's the thing on botanical interest. They said a plant breeder, Dr. Calvin Lamborn, created snap peas in 1979 when he crossed snow peas with shelling peas. So did you know that? I did. Did you know that? that I didn't either. I thought they'd always been around. I just never thought about it. And his variety, Sugar Snap, won a gold medal from the All-American Selections in 1979. And we'll put a link to All-American Selections because maybe maybe I just don't 
haven't grown the right snap pea yet. Well, this year I'm growing sugar ann, but I'm only growing two rows of them because you know I've got to do my I've got to do my sunflower project, that's which we'll true. talk about later. But you know, I just I I that's all I'm growing. I usually grow both snow peas and snap peas because I here the sun the spring's too short to get a really good supply of shelling peas. You can get some, but it just and if we have a long spring, great. Because anything I say, it could be that we'll have a different kind of spring. But in a normal spring, I just can't get enough of them. So I grow both of those. But this time I've decided I'm just growing snap. And it's just sugar in. Really? And I'm growing shelling peas and snow peas and no snaps. Good for you. Good for you. I do want to say on the snap peas, if somebody my age says, Hey, we ate snap peas as kids. They are lying, lying, lying. Did not. Yeah. I don't know what you said because you know what? It did it again, but I know that you're talking about what kind of peas you were going to grow. No, I was talking talking about about peas. (laughs) I wasn't talking about that at all. Our listeners will know what I was talking about. (laughs) Yeah. It doesn't really matter if I know. (laughs) So pea shoots are, uh, I will, I will use the word trendy. Trendy is the very, word. Very, very. And so I think of tr- pea shoots as uh, microgreens that you would grow inside in a flat and then you would cut them. But botanical interest, I was reading one of their articles on growing peas, which goes to show you never know what you're going to learn. But they suggest mm-hmm. that you go out when your peas are shooting up and then you can nip them back and eat the pea shoots. And by nipping them back, you'll force that lateral branching. And you'll actually kind of encourage more branching, more peas, more flowers, more peas. Yeah. And that makes, that really makes sense because sweet peas, which you should not eat, they're poisonous. Sweet peas, you do the exact same thing. Remember when Monty Don snapped them off with his finger? I've never snapped off my flowering, my sweet peas or my shelling peas. This is the year. Or my snow peas. This is the year. Oh yeah. Big time. Big time. This is the year of the pinch. You snap them off at about about two and a half inches. And if you do that, you'll get more lateral branching, just like any other plant. It totally makes sense. This is the year of the pea pinch. The pea pinch. Yay. Pea pinch. So um, if people will want to grow them for shoots, you sh- you have a variety that's um, pea shoots, baby green seeds from botanical interests, which pe- if people use our link, um, it's an affiliate link, which is really nice because it helps us to have this podcast. We don't have to pay so much for it. And then the other thing is I grew avalanche last year and avalanche had the other thing about pea shoot peas is that they produce a lot of shoots and they hold on in the wind, which is good. That's important. Yeah. So very easy to grow. I thought it was the easiest kind of peas I've ever done. So I vote for more tendrils. Yeah. And I, I was going to say my favorite shelling pea is, of course, Green Arrow. And I have a link, a, a long story on my blog about Green Arrow. Progress number nine, I've tried, also very good. And Wando, also very good. And if you're going to grow the snow peas, which are the flat, I'll call them the flat pea pods, um, the Oregon, what is it called? Oregon sugar, something sugar pod, sugar yeah. pod two. Yeah. I don't know what happened to Oregon sugar pod one, but Oregon sugar pod two. They just improved it and got rid of number one because that's what they do. They work on, if you, if hybridizers are like the most obsessed people ever, think about that. that. 
because they focus in on one particular plant and they just try to make it better and better and better. And I noticed there's a lot of new, a, a lot of new vegetables this year. And a lot of that is because people want to make stuff better. That's true. And then if you want purple potted peas, there's a, which are so pretty sugar magnolia, which the difference between the purple peas and purple green beans is purple peas stay purple after you cook them. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, they do. Now that I think about it or that kind of a dark green purple is what mine looked like after I cooked them, but But it's kind of an ugly color, but they're really pretty in salads and they're really pretty growing on the trellis, which we had tons of pictures because you, I think you grew magnolia too, right? I did. I am not this year, but I have grown them in the past. Me too. And the other thing, I think people just get like uh, hesitant to plant them early and the soil needs to be 40 degrees or warmer. And around here, it's like March 17th, planting the peas. And I planted them last week. And a lot of times I plant them at the end of February. So I just didn't have time at the end of February. And now I did. So I just popped them in there. Yeah. Last week. Oh, last week was the first part of March. I was going to say. Yeah, it was. It wasn't the end. And I planted them on Saturday. So that was like the 5th. I planted them on the 5th of March. You're late. For me, I am. So we're going to link to botanical interest because they have all those peas. Are you going to do the next quote? Today is the day when bold kites fly, when cumulus clouds roar across the sky, when robins return, when children cheer, when light rain beckons spring to appear. Robert McCracken. So we had rain yesterday. We so had rain last night. A lot of rain. Big storm. Oh, my gosh. I was so grateful. Weren't you just so grateful to get Yeah, I was a little bit on the dry side. In fact, they had, uh, because of the wind on Saturday, they had fire warnings. Which we've never had fire warnings. You guys don't get fire warnings. We get them all the time. So especially in the spring and fall. But we got a lot of rain last night. We did too. And it was just a beautiful rain. It wasn't like a gully washer, big storm. It was like the best kind of rain. So you have the book, you have the book on the bookshelf. I do not own this book. It's grow, cook, eat a food lover's guide to vegetable gardening, including 50 recipes plus harvesting and storage tips. By Willie Galloway. So this book came out in 2000, 2012, and I wrote a review about it on my blog at the time. Willie and I are really good friends, or we were, and um, I haven't talked to her in a while because she got out of blogging. She used to be a blogger, and that's how we knew each other. And then she was an editor at Organic Gardening Magazine, and I wrote some stories for her. And then she wrote this beautiful book, which the color of the book is the color of the Ukrainian flag, coincidentally, because it's uh, the color of blue sky or actually a blue thing on her wall. And here's what, why this book still resonates. And she doesn't know we're going to talk about it. We just were discussing pea shoots. And she was one of the first person, first people I read who said, yeah, you should eat those pea shoots and you should eat other parts of the plant because most of the time in vegetables, the whole plant is edible especially the ones you're going to grow in your garden. So eat other things, eat beet greens, eat different types of stuff. Um, She's also a very beautiful writer. And it's just, I mean, the book is cheap now. You can get it for not very much, but it's it's a great book. And it's part cookbook, part growing book. And um, I just thought it was really, really good. And now she owns a furniture store called Perch. And her blog is Hmm. long gone, which so many are. 
And that's sad. So I had a couple. So did she delete her blog? Yeah. Her blog's completely gone. Some of her blog posts are on apartment therapy and, but they don't have pictures with them anymore. So I don't know what that's about. And then um, I also found some on a, on vegetarian times because she was an editor. So she got some of her blog posts onto different places. So they're still out there and you can read them. So if you search her, you can find out that Um, there were two quotes in the book that I thought were really, really beautiful. And so I was going to read them for you guys real quick. Growing a big mix of greens means that putting a healthy meal on the table is never more than 30 minutes away. Bring the basket of a salad spinner, one of the world's best inventions, right out in the garden and fill it with whatever strikes your fancy. Isn't that pretty? True that. True that. I have a salad spinner. I should do that. I love salad spinners. I think they're one of the best adventures ever. Okay. Or, and then she has another one. Or if cooking isn't in the cards one evening, add a veneer of wholesomeness to a frozen pizza by tossing big handfuls of arugula on top of it just before it comes out of the oven. And and that reminded me of my favorite pizza at this restaurant that Bill and I eat at all the time where our friend is the manager and the chef is our friend too. And that's Sparrow in Edmond. And they make a sausage mushroom arugula pizza that they put on a cauliflower crust. And it is divine because they use a mix of all different kinds of mushrooms. And that arugula is just like having a salad on top of your pizza. Isn't that cool? Cool. So the book is Grow, Cook, Eat by Willie Galloway. It's still a really great book. I think people can get it cheap. They should buy it. All right. Very good. That uh, combo. Cookbook slash gardening book. Those are very popular, as we know from buying the chef's garden. Yeah, I was going to say the chef's garden is a huge example of that. And I just got another book that we're going to review soon called Edible Plants. And it's actually a wild, um, a wild crafting book. It's a foraging book. And I thought, and it's beautiful too. And it's that same idea. In this case, you don't grow them, but you go gather them. All right. So you want me to do the next quote? Of course. March is a tomboy with tousled hair, a mischievous smile, mud on her shoes, and a laugh in her voice. Hal Borland. I like it. You want to talk about our dirt? I do. I really don't have any answers to this, but I'll try. So while we were recording, after we had recorded last week's podcast, we stayed on the phone and you got into your seed drawer there and found out that mice had gotten into your seed stash. And ate some of your sunflower seeds. And you were not a happy camper. I was not a happy camper because those dwarf sunflower seeds are hard to find, especially now, because this year everybody's growing sunflower gardens in honor of the Ukrainian people and their national flower. Um, I had to contact botanical interests and beg beg for some seeds because I I wanted to grow these dwarf ones that don't get too tall because I think that'll look good with the... I don't want six foot tall sunflowers in my potage. Um, yeah. How do, okay. So everybody now is grossed out and thinks my house is dirty. Cause it's I have not, mice. you live out in the country as we discussed and there's just like a few spots. Yeah. I live in the country and my kitchen desk where I record the podcast and keep a lot of things is right next to um, my broom closet, which is by an outside wall. So they do get in here periodically and I have cats but they can't always get to them. And this bottom drawer, somehow they got into the bottom drawer. I don't know how. And they ate the seeds. So, you know, what should we say about how you should store your seeds? Don't store it where mice can get to them. 
you should really put them in cold storage if you're going to keep them a long time. Yeah. If you bought uh, or repurposed a metal container with a metal lid and that's you want it. That would work. That would work. But don't put it in a high moisture area or place where it's going to get really hot. They need to be kept kind of cool and dry. So that's my best advice. Yeah. And mine, mine are in a photo album with plastic sleeves so I can see what I'm going to do next. I've kept them lots and lots of different ways, but you're right. The only thing that'll stop mice is metal because they, that's what they would tell us to do um, because they do come in through window areas and stuff like that. And they get into your cabinets every once in a while. And so you take steel wool, like SOS pads. And you pull them apart and you stick them in the hole and they can't chew through right. it. But um, those are, I mean, those are some ideas. I don't, these are my current seeds, the ones I'm going to plant this year. Cause I try not to keep a lot in stock all the time. I'm trying to be good. <laughs> um, anyway, they, they love sunflower seeds. They love lettuce seeds. They don't really like bean seeds. They like small seeds that they can just chew up immediately. Exactly. So the other thing in our dirt was you found a source for locally grown seeds. And there's a seed company called the Buffalo Seed Company as one example. And I thought, oh, they're in Buffalo, New York. No, they're in Missouri. Mm -hmm. They're in Missouri. And everything is open pollinated, has no chemicals on it, no field irrigation, which is important. So these are also drought tolerant things. And they use local mulch that is organic. I thought they were very interesting. How did I find them? I don't Carol? know. But if you look at their website, they have a map and they show where they are. And then they sort of have uh, geographic regions. It's a bio region. Yeah, bio regions, how far out they think their seeds would be superior to others. And so both Oklahoma and Indiana are within bio regions of this company. So it's worth checking out. I thought it was really kind of a cool company and a cool idea. And sometimes seeds, well, I think that seeds that are grown in more like your bioregion, that's a new term. um, I think you have a better chance of those being acclimated to your conditions. So if, if I buy seeds way off in the Pacific Northwest that are produced in the Pacific Northwest and selected there, those might not do as well in Oklahoma for obvious reasons. Oh, yeah. And they have a beautiful website. I have never shopped with them. So I'm not saying that you should shop there. I just thought it was very interesting. Yeah, it is interesting. I'm looking at their shop now and saying, hmm, let me go to my favorites. Yeah. And see. Here we are again. Why are we shopping for more <laughs> seeds, Dee? What is wrong with this? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> They've got some really. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> hey, they have some wonderful beans. I'm looking at their beans right yeah. now. Some really unusual ones like this one, this common bean called John, John Wright, W-R-I-G-H-T. It's out of stock, of course, um, but it looks really, really good. So I made beans last night. I've been eating low carb, but I I had to have some beans yesterday. They were delicious. This, this, you just, why do you send me down? Never mind. Okay. We're not going to look at that anymore. We're going to do our next quote. Which is me? Am I supposed to? Well, do I'm it? still over here on the seed site because I want. Never mind. Uh, they've got. <laughs> you can shop after we're done. Well, I got one more thing to look at, and then. Okay. Okay. Well, don't let us don't let us bother you while you shop. <laughs> Just 
This episode is a mess. <laughs> That's okay. Oh my gosh. They've got some interesting pea varieties. None of them are, you know, oh, my beloved. You do not need peas. Anyway. Okay. I got to do the next quote, don't I? I don't know. It might be my turn to do the next quote. Is it my, no, it's your turn. You go for it. I want my life to be slow. Slow rhythms, slow love, slow food, slow coffee, slow dancing. I want this slowness to be the echo of how nature creates deep-rooted beauty from the gentle momentum of a single small seed. Victoria Erickson. Okay, the whole reason we picked this, well, we do love having slow lives as much as possible, but I loved the part about how nature creates deep-rooted beauty from the gentle momentum of a single small seed. Yeah, that is lovely. That is lovely. It is lovely. And I don't know Victoria Erickson, but thank you. Thank you for that quote. So do you want to do your rabbit hole first? Or do you want to do mine? Let's do mine. Yours, yours. So I have finished all but one Barbara Pin book. And I got to tell you, the last one I read was a complete depression. <laughs> Not really. What was it? It was, it was about four single people living in London who mm-hmm. are getting ready to retire. There's two men and two women and the two women do retire. And these people have no friends <laughs> except each other it was, and they're not really friends. And it was, it was kind of like, this Ugh. is horrible, <laughs> depressing. Well, what's anyway, the name of the book? The so book is called, um, so you don't read it. <laughs> I don't want to read this one. I read I read Excellent Women and I thought it was depressing. So this quartet, one would send me over the edge. Quartet in Autumn. That would send you over the edge. <sighs> no, thank you. <laughs> but anyway, I, I did. Uh, I have coming to the library because the last two books I want to read, they don't have an ebook of. And one's called um, Leaves of Green. And then mm-hmm. the other one is uh, she has a cookbook because Barbara Pym was known for how how much she talked about the food that our characters ate. And so uh, there's actually a Barbara Pym cookbook. I'm going to get that from the library as well. So then that oh, will cool. finish my Barbara Pym uh, obsession. Winter, the winter obsession. of Barbara Pym. Yeah. Uh, On to something else. Yeah. You need something springy now. I, I'm telling you, that's too much Barbara Pym. I I do have I have some springy things and I think I'm going to go back to reading some more Hal Borland. He is so much fun. I think we should all read Hal Borland. So I'll read that. I can't have another book club though, so we can't have the Garden Angelus book club. I just can't do it. Okay. So you want to hear about my uh, rabbit hole now? Yeah. I briefly talked about it a little bit earlier today. Um, it's sunflowers in the Ukraine. Only they don't like to be called the Ukraine. They like to be called Ukraine because it's a country, not a region. And um, I have been obsessed for months about putting these sunflowers in the center of all my lavender. I dream about it. I see it. It's like, and I collected all the seeds for it and I've been totally ready. So um, I didn't make the connection until just recently. There's blue and yellow, which is the color of their flag. Um, And of course, sunflowers are their national flower. And then I began posting about sunflowers on both my 
um, Instagram and on Facebook after the war started because of this Ukrainian sunflower lady. And I'm going to guess that some of our friends haven't heard of her, but she was the lady who approached a Russian soldier. She's in, uh, I would say she's in her 60s. And she has these packets. Of, she has a packet of sunflowers in her hands. And she says, you, you should put these in your pockets because when you die, sunflowers will at least grow. At least flowers will grow. And so people have been posting sunflowers. It's kind of rude, but at the same time, you have to admire you have to admire people in that part of the world. They're just pretty straightforward. Yeah. And then, I, I mean, I didn't. I I laughed because it just sounds like something a gardener would say, especially a militant, angry gardener. And so then I saw this really cool story on NBC, which we're going to link to, which is sunflowers are marking support for Ukraine. And it's all the ways all over the world that people have really taken up this sunflower thing. And it's, it's all very organic. Nobody, I mean, there are hashtags, but nobody said, Hey, let's all do this. Just people started doing it. One of the best ones you watched it too. One of the best ones was, um, the people sticking sunflowers in the Russian embassy in London. Yeah, I like that. For peace. Yeah. I thought that was really beautiful. Um, and that's, so I've still got my sunflower project. I hope it works and we'll go from there. I was going to say most of the best movements, I guess, are just are spontaneous and people get on board because it means something to them. And I think that's sunflowers for Ukraine. Yes. And you know what? If you are online and you, you hit any of those ash, those hashtags, oh my goodness, you the, the depth of sunflowers we have oh, yeah. in the world. There's, it's amazing, oh, yeah. isn't it? They are amazing. And I've always grown them. So I have a lot of pictures and that's been really fun. And it's also made people that um, follow me online say, oh, I want to grow some sunflowers. What are your favorites? And so I've gotten to share some of those. And then they find out all the sunflower seeds are sold out. Buy them at the store. Yeah. You better go get them soon. My daughter today, Megan said, I think I'm going to plant sunflowers along her new fence at her house. And I said, well, we need to get you some seeds fast. And then one of the most famous seeds for tall sunflowers is Russian. And she goes, I don't think I'll buy this. Yeah. And then there's also mammoth and then there's gray stripe there's, and there's a bunch of others too, but those are the ones with the great big heads. And I said, well, you know, it's not the Russian people that are the problem. Exactly. It's their government. It's always, it's not the people. Okay. Let's talk about, it's never the people, it's not the people, people are good. Let's talk about our garden commissions. So in my part of the world, like I said, I bought violas and pansies and I looked at the 10 day forecast at the time. Everything looked pretty good. Um, I did not now. Uh, well, yeah. So Saturday has a low temperature of 15 and I've, ours is 19 and I'm like, that's, 19 that's on way Friday. colder than I've ever forced a pansy to go through. And so I thought, well, the containers in front, except for the window box, right by the window, the containers in front, I can easily move into the garage the big containers on the back patio, I'm going to have to shove them up against the house and maybe put a tenting over them, which I never do this kind of stuff. But it's like, mm-hmm. I hope that forecast changes. So I do too. Other than that, we have the exact same problem. Even though we're you and I are a month behind on gardening, all of these big Arctic fronts hit both of us. And yeah. so that's why we often have the same. We've had a lot of Arctic fronts lately. And so I have the same problem with my roses. The roses I put in pots, they're all up against the greenhouse, which does radiate some heat. 
but I'm going to have to tent them on that morning. Night, 19 degrees, 14 degrees. That's ridiculous. Well, and usually tenting only lowers the or raises temperature a couple of degrees. So it's like, you know, it's going to go down to 30 and you don't want something to freeze. I have right. no idea at 15 and 19, but pansies <laughs> and violas are tough. And I feel like, you know, it's just probably going to be for a few hours and then we're in the clear, but I don't like it. I don't like it one bit. Yeah, I don't like it either. Okay. And so I talked about potting up my roses already and um, I I might bring them into the greenhouse, Carol, the roses. I would. I mean, you spend too much because money. They're not, let me explain. They have not broken dormancy, but pots are two zones colder than your zone. So that means those roots might get too chilled. And this morning was 27. I wasn't too worried about them at 27, but 19, 14, that's crazy. So I'm watching it closely and I'll, I might, they're right next to the greenhouse. They're super heavy, but I might just get my two wheel bear, you know, my pop mover and move them in there. You know, technically, I suppose I could move, shove stuff aside in the sunroom and I could those containers are huge and they have been outside for their entire lives. I mean, I've, I've had them for six or seven years. Can mm-hmm. you imagine the bugs that might start crawling out if I brought them inside? Oh well, God. they might because it's so nice and warm in your house. Hey, did I tell you that my fountain in the center of the potager cracked? No, that's tragic. Yeah, it cracked. It's tragic, but it'll be okay. Um, we're going to have to buy a new uh, fountain for the center of the potager. Those are not inexpensive, but. Nope, they're not. Chance it's been there since 2009. It. That's a good run. You can reimagine it, it now, get something, you know, different. Mm-hmm. Well, and someone's going to ask, why did you let it crack? Well, not on purpose. We had a heater in it. We used to drain it and then just take it out of the garden. But because of the birds, we started leaving it filled several years ago. And then we always have a heater in it. Well, the plug got messed up, even though it's hey. an outdoor plug. It got tripped. And when it got tripped, then it froze over. And that's happened before. But this time it was like, you know, four degrees. And so it broke it. So I'm going to be looking for a fountain for you. I want something like broke with uh, cherubs and things like that all over it. Yeah, that goes with a log house. Thanks, Carol. Thanks for the help. Oh, yeah. Anytime. Well, that's it for this week. We want to thank everyone for listening to Garden Angelos. If you like our podcast, please tell your friends about us. Also, hit that subscribe button so you don't miss anything. And if you listen listen to Apple Podcasts, we'd love a five-star review that helps us get noticed by others. Could you also share our podcast with your gardening friends? Word of mouth is still the best way to get the word out there. Yes, and be sure and check out our show notes for links for more information about today's topics, plus links to our own websites. And if you want to help support us, use the affiliate links. If you buy something after clicking through on them, we're in a small commission and it costs you nothing. It was lovely to chat with all of you over the garden gate today. Bye until next week. Bye, everybody.